Hey everyone, this is Jaron Hollis with the Believer's Church. I'm so happy that you're here today. I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to this message. I pray that it inspires you, it challenges you, and it helps you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy. God bless you all. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Be seated in the presence of the Lord. What a joy it is to be in the house of God with a bunch of Jesus freaks. Oh my goodness. Are there any Jesus freaks in the room? Amen. Just love Jesus. I know. I know. I can tell. I can tell, honestly. And if you think you're going to hide incognito here and be crazy about Jesus, you're in the wrong place for that because the worship's going to draw it out of you. Amen. And uh, how many are thankful for the incredible worship team that you have? I've been so blessed. I love, 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 love. Incredible job. Thank you guys for your diligence and your faithfulness. Uh, thank you for uh, just a wonderful weekend. And I, I have to give uh, honor to your pastors, Pastors Randy and Renee and Jaron and Haley. How many believe you have the best in the entire world right here? Amen. Yep. I know a lot, and they are amongst the best in the world. And uh, you are so blessed as a congregation. And thank you for your worship. Your worship today was beautiful. And uh, <laughs> it was great. Praise God. And so I enjoyed it. Me and the Lord both enjoyed it. <laughs> I enjoyed it too. And I'm so glad that you took the time to come today. I, I pray that something that I say, I know you've already been blessed by the incredible presence of the Lord. I pray that something that I say today would be helpful in your journey with the Lord and what God has called you to do. Had a great weekend. Uh, we had a class yesterday and I love to hang out with students. It's really where I began years ago. And uh, dad pastored for 50 years, so I'm a PK, so look out, you better watch out for me because I'm a PK. My granddad pastored for 60 years before him. And so ministry is all I've ever known in my life. I stand on amazing shoulders. And not long ago, my mom, who's 85, my dad's gone on to be with the Lord, but my mom, who is 85, was raised uh, in a sharecropper's home, uh, or a homesteader's home, I should say, in rural Arkansas, where my granddad had been saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit and, and was literally beginning to be called to ministry. Uh, he was ordained at 1914, and, uh, and that was back in the day when you didn't have cars to travel with, and he became an itinerant preacher. Now, with nine kids on the farm, nine children, and uh, probably a 160-acre farm to work, they only had one team of mules, so when it was time for granddad to go out and preach or hold a brush arbor or a a revival, then he would have to pack a bag and walk. And I didn't know this until just maybe a year or two ago when I was talking with my mom about the heritage of our family. And <clears throat> and she said that she didn't, she was the baby of the family of nine children. And so when it was time for uh, them to have revival, granddad would leave. Well, my, my grandmother, who was a little Indian lady, would gather the nine children around the bed every night. And mom said she always brought a long-handled wooden spoon to the prayer meeting. They were going to pray for granddad's meeting. And it was like that ruler, I guess you were talking about. It was a prayer inducer. And, uh, <laughs> and all the family, the children would gather around. They'd pray for granddad's revival. And she said almost every time when they didn't know exactly when he was coming home, but he'd come through the field with his knapsack on his shoulder and she would hear my grandmother ask him when he walked up on the back, back porch, Winfred was his name, W.C. Pruitt. Winfred, was it worth the walk? 
And I have to tell you that there's not many times that I get on a jet airplane or get in some sort of beautiful automobile and travel across the country to speak to a congregation like this that I don't. And I was thinking about it this morning. And I stood over there and I thought, Granddad, it was worth the walk. <laughs> worth the walk. So I feel honored to be here. It's an incredible honor. And uh, I bring greetings from my lovely wife who's recovering from brain surgery, actually, and, and a stroke and is doing wonderfully. It's been an interesting walk since July, but God is putting her back on her feet. Come on, somebody with me. Amen. And she's doing wonderful. Sends her love. Some of you met her last time uh, we were here. You know that, honestly, I, uh, you, honestly, when you look at my wife and then look at me, you think he must be rich or something. I'm not sure how that works out. But anyway, she sends her love. I talked to her this morning, and she said, please greet the people and, and let them know that I miss them and love them today. And I, I'm just so glad to be part of the team around here. And I want to try to help to push the ball down the field in the name of the Lord today. And so I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. And I want to use this whole theme. I talked with students about it yesterday. And I want to talk with you about it today. The fact that you were made for more. Would everybody say with me, made for more? For everyone in the room who has ever been felt like or been through something that made you feel like less. Or made you feel like you were damaged goods, or you were not qualified, or, or you didn't have the right last name or the right pedigree. Let me tell you that before you were ever a cell in your mother's womb, the scripture says, David says it this way, before there was ever a day written in your book, you saw the number of my days and the manner of my ways. Such knowledge is too high for me and I cannot attain it, he says. But it's, how many are glad we serve a God who's not trying to make up his mind about you, but he's already made up his mind about you. He's already decided he wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. He wants to do abundant things in your life because he's an abundant God. So that's what I want to talk with you about in two segments, essentially first made for more and then the second segment in my one service series <laughs> is releasing the more that you were made for. I mean, the first half of the message may feel a little bit like a cheerleading session where I'm trying to convince you that God has more planned for your life, but it would be one thing for me to sow that into your heart and then leave you wondering, how in the world do I experience the more that God has made me for? And so help, hopefully with the help of the Lord, we're going to touch all those bases. First of all, let me just begin by saying, in the day that we're living, with all the chaos, with all the wars and rumors of wars, economic uncertainty, political and social chaos, we need you more than we've ever needed you to be all that you can be for God. We need everything you've got. We don't need you to leave a bit of things. On. We need you to take it all to the field and leave it all on the, on the field. Can I get an Amen. This is not a day for lukewarm, half-hearted, anemic, high-maintenance, low-impact Christians. Mm -mm. This is not a day for a little dabble, do you? Or I'm holding on to the bitter end kind of believers. No, this is a day for full throttle, maximized, full force, optimized, full capacity believers to arise to be all that God's called them to be. We need you to be your best. We don't need you limping around and hollering around and we don't need you just holding on to the bitter end, singing that song, doom, despair, and agony on me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. No, no, we need you to be all God has called you to be. Yeah. But how many know that 
Life has a way of taking that high capacity, high potential, high possibility life God designed you for and throttling you down. Can I get an experienced amen in the room? You're a light. God made you to shine brightly, but that light, life can work like a dimmer. You go through a few things, a financial setback, a broken relationship, something you had high hopes for, a business failure, something you expected to be great and turn out wonderful that doesn't realize, you don't realize the expectation that you had for it, and life can turn you down, but God wants to turn you back up. <laughs> And so I'm going to tell you today, some of you are thinking, Brother Brassfield, okay, you're hyping this up. I, I get it, so I'm guilty. But some of you are thinking, you don't know where I've come from. You don't know what I've been through. You don't understand my story. And I will grant you that. I don't. There's a, a, a variety of stories in this room. Everyone here has a story. Everyone been through, has been through something. I, I think it was Hemingway that said, life breaks us all. Now, some of us heal and we're stronger where we were broken. But I can just tell you that where you begin is not defining where you can end. And what God wants to do has in you has nothing to do with what you've been through. No matter what you've done or what's been done to you, I've brought a message of hope for you today that God has planned more for your life. He has something great in store for you. He has a future and a hope. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of healing. He's a God of the second chance. He's a God who can turn chaos into order. Can I get an amen today? Do not underestimate what God can do. It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others. He'll do for you. With his arms wide open, he'll pardon you. How many remember that old song? Some of y'all younger folks are sitting there and saying, I don't have a clue what he's saying. <laughs> Just an old little ditty. <laughs> it is no secret what God can do. You were made for more. You were made to multiply. And I want to take you to a couple of scriptures. And if you're going to allow me today, just pretend I'm a lawyer. And for a few moments, I'm going to build a case. And then I'm going to finish with a great story that will help you understand in story form what I've been talking about for the first few moments. Now, don't panic because I have the longest introductions and the shortest sermons. So don't panic. Look at your neighbor and say, don't, get, don't be afraid. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Don't be afraid. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want you to notice, this is New Testament, the Apostle Paul writing to a church that he's about to come and receive an offering from. Yes, the Apostle Paul perhaps is the first proverbial preacher who is coming to a congregation to receive an offering. Now, just so we know and kind of get that out of the way right up front, we're not going to take an offering at the end of this service. So what I'm going to say may at times have financial overtones, but don't panic because there's no offering planned at the end of the service. But this passage opens with the Apostle Paul who's preparing to visit the Corinthian church for the purpose of gathering an offering for the saints in Jerusalem who are struggling and suffering in a terrible economic time and crunch in Israel. The passage opens uh, with him greeting them. Of course, it's, not, it's, the, it's the ninth chapter, so it's not the beginning of the letter. But in the ninth chapter, we're going to fall into verse number six. And I want you to notice 
as he describes God and God's plan, all the quantitative words that are embedded in the text. These words, when I read them, just kind of jumped out like keywords to, to me. Okay, so maybe you can think of that way. If you have a pen or a highlighter, maybe you want to highlight them. Verse 6 says it this way. This is Paul speaking. He says, but this I say, who he, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. I want you to notice the proportionality that's referenced and encoded into this verse. In the way that you sow, you're going to reap. Today we would say something like, you ain't getting nothing out if you don't put nothing in. Or what goes around, comes around. Paul says it this way, if you sow a little, you're going to reap a little. But then he goes on to say, he who sows bountifully, in the, in the Greek, the original language of the author, he who sows bountifully or with blessing will also reap bountifully or with blessing. So notice the quantitative words, the measuring words that Paul begins to use, encouraging this church to be generous. And in fact, he goes on to reiterate this idea in verse number 7. He says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart. The truth is, great giving always begins with a generous heart. Giving always begins in the heart. And how many know we serve a God who examines your heart? So God's not as interested with how many zeros are on that bill that you put in the offering box back there or how much you keyed in when you put your reference together to do the link on the giving side. God's not as interested in that as he is the quantity of generosity that's embedded in your heart. So he says, as each one purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And let me give you my interpretation of this. The word cheerful could be synonymous in this passage with generous. How many like hanging out with generous people? Anybody ever go to lunch with that person that notoriously avoids the check? It's like there's a convenient necessity of a bathroom visit just about the time the check's going to come. Anybody... No, don't point at anybody, right? Don't point anybody out. You know what I'm saying? But we all, uh, listen, if you're that person, I just want to, I'm, I'm trying to be kind, but if you're that person, nobody likes to have lunch with you. I like to have lunch with people that are fighting over the check. I need a better amen than that because that's true. There's just something generous when the table says, no, I'll get it. No, I'll get it. No, let me get it. I got the chicks. Check somebody's stealing it. Somebody's sliding their card to the waiter up front. It just says that you're hanging out with generous people. We all like to hang out with generous people. How many like to hang out with folks that are generous with their words of encouragement? I mean, I've known, I've been around church all my life, right? And I know that some people have the gripes like God was paying a bounty for them. Like, well, it was too loud, it was too hot, it was too cold, I didn't like the door greeter, nobody shook my hand. <laughs> I'm, I'm being pastoral today, is that okay? It's like, no, no, everybody lo loves to walk through the door when somebody smiles big and pats them on the back and says, we're so glad that you've come to church today, welcome to the house of happy people. Everybody likes that. Even if you're shy and a bit reposed, you like hanging out with people that are generous with their heart. God loves a generous giver. Why does he do that? I think it's because largely that's a reflection of his nature and his character. 
See, God loves it when you act like him. When you forgive people that hurt you, God loves it. <laughs> uh, when you do good to those who despitefully use you, God loves it. When you are generous, when you're involved with people, whether it's financially or emotionally or spiritually, God loves it because God says, that's like us. I mean, we all love it when our kids act like us. I've got a son and his wife that pastor in, in uh, Crestview, Florida, and they pastor a great church there. And honestly, they just had their fifth son. No girls. Five boys. My daughter has two boys. We have seven grandsons. God has been generous with us. And I cannot be with those seven grandsons without feeling the compulsion to be generous back. But when I hear my son preach, there's something in me. I may not say it, but I'll hear something that I said. Or I, somebody gave me for Christmas a year or two ago a flash drive of about 30 of my dad's messages. And again, he's been gone since 2010. And I put that flash drive in occasionally while I'm driving down the road. And I listen to dad. And it's amazing all the things he learned from me. <laughs> it amazes me. It's like, wow, how did he do that? Because I say that. There's something about the heart of God that when we act like God, He likes it. He likes it. So God loves a generous giver. And then notice these words. Remember, everybody say quantitative. It's a big word, but it just essentially means measurement or word like that kind of. The idea is metrics. Notice in verse 8, this is the Apostle Paul. He's begun with a little teaching. Now he gives the promise or the, the, back, the firepower to back it up. He says, God is able to make, and I've highlighted them in my passage, all grace. Somebody say all grace. How much grace? How much is all? It's a lot. It's more than a lot. Man, honestly, y'all, in an environment where there's hungry people, it's, I, you can just jump so many rabbits and chase. I'm glad I serve a God who's more than the word I'm using about God. <laughs> he's more than wonderful. He's great, but he's more than great. He's awesome, but he's more than awesome. Oh, my goodness. I'm glad that's the kind of God. I'm glad I'm not serving this little bitty God that can't do anything and is, is, has eyes, but he can't see, and ears, but he can't hear, and a mouth, but he can't speak. I'm glad I serve a God who can speak and hear and change and deliver. I came to teach, but I might have to preach before I get through. I'm glad that's the kind of God I serve. I read a few years ago where there was this cult that had, had the funeral planned for their leader and they called him a god. It's got to be a bad day when they call you to be a pallbearer at your god's funeral. And God is able to make all grace, notice this word, abound. Where? Toward you. That you, having always, always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every 
Now, I'm going to tell you, saints, every one of us, when we read that verse and it gets into our heart, you know, where that Logos word becomes rhema, where it's beyond beyond now just a theological concept, where it becomes a life-changing idea, all of us ought to just pause for a praise break. I'm glad I'm serving a God who has an ability to have all, everything, abound, all sufficiency, all things, and every good work. Every good work means every good work. Loving people you can't love. Forgiving people you can't hardly forgive. Oh yes, you can do it because you're serving a God who has the ability to make all sufficiency available to you for every good work. Woo, I'm about to preach myself happy today. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, notice what Paul says. So he began with the principle Then he essentially talks about the firepower that backs it up, and then he finishes this passage with a prayer. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower, that's you. Would you just say with me right now, that's me. Whether you've sown anything in your life or not, God designed you to be a sower. That's part of your nature. That's part of his nature in you. He designed you to be a sower. That's you. But I'll tell you, he didn't expect you to sow something that he didn't give you. Can I be, without being offensive today, can I suggest in this room there are no self-made men or women? That every one of you who are enjoying blessing, it's a gift from God. God gave it to you. It was God all the while. You thought you had that idea. You thought that was your creative ingenuity. You thought you, that was your native genius. But every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. It was God that blessed you with that opportunity. It was God that opened that door in your life. He supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply. Okay, I've worked that passage over, y'all. <laughs> uh, let him supply and multiply the seed sown. Somebody say with me, because I like interactive audiences. Say with me, I was made for more. We've established that life can mess you up. We've established that the things around you can mess you up. If you listen to the wrong people, watch too much news. Need a better amen than that. That can mess you up. It'll, it can mess you up. It can mess your thinking up. It can begin to turn you down and turn you off and limit God's possibility and potential in your life. You can hang out with the wrong crowd and they'll become reducers instead of multipliers in your life. Your friends matter. Where you go matters. What you do matters. But God, when he thinks of you, thinks of fully optimized, full potential, full possibilities. And that's what he has planned for your life. For you to really embrace that idea that you were made for more, you have to, I think, believe that God is a God of more. Not only did he make you for more, but God is a God of more. Because remember, I I talked about the familiar connection that God is glorified when we express his nature and his character in our life. In Genesis chapter 1, we get a picture of the very beginning, the first slide in our program looking at God begins where you might think it would be appropriate, the first book of the Bible in the very first chapter of the book. 
this idea that God wants to bless you wasn't some sort of contrived idea of a, of a greasy televangelist who was out to get your money. No, no, the fact is I just read from the Apostle Paul talking to a congregation about giving finance and then using incredible words about all and every good work and multiplying what you give. And if you sow a little, you're going to reap a little. And if you sow a lot, you're going to reap a lot. Yeah, you can turn the TV off when a televangelist is telling you that. I don't want to hear it. He just wants my money. But if you go to the Bible, you'll find out a God who doesn't need your money but wants you to act like he acts is, is designing these concepts and ideas. If you don't believe God wants to bless you, you need to read the Bible. Forget the, the words of any preacher or any group or any organizer. Just go to the Bible and see what the Bible says. And God is able to make all sufficiency, all abundance, all, all, all. But you have to think, well, if God wants to do it for me, then he has to be that kind of God. And let, let me just show you a couple of ideas in Genesis chapter number 1 where this idea that Paul picked up is has its foundation and begins. And Paul's echoing what we would call theologically an ontological reality, a foundational beginning reality that God is a God of more. It's his nature. What he creates, he designs to produce more. Now notice what he says in verse number 12 of chapter 1. In this creation narrative, we're seeing how God is creating the world and all that is in it. And he comes to this place where the grass is about to be created in verse number 12. And this is God speaking and the earth, he, he commanded it and then this is the result. And there's this kind of yin and yang, this catching thing going on where God commands in one verse and then it appears the next verse. And God says, let there be light and there was light. And God said, let the earth bring forth. And this is the response of verse 12. And the earth brought forth grass. And this is a comprehensive term for vegetation. It wasn't just the grass that you, you know, that's growing in your yard that you cut. This is wheat and barley and, and all the kinds of grains and corn and, and, and along with grass. Let the, let, let the earth bring forth grass and the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed. Now I want you to know if, if you're highlighting, highlight that verse, in, that word in your Bible, yield seed. In other words, God designed the first plant to give. We're not even to the, the animals or humans yet. God said, okay, if we're going to have more than one beautiful stock of corn, I have to equip this creation with an ability to reproduce itself. And then in its reproduction, I have to design it not to just produce another plant but lots of other plants if my end game is that it fill the earth and multiply then I've got to equip it with all that it needs and notice it's in the passage let the herb that yields seed according to its kind and the tree that gives fruit uh, you got to follow me just for a moment because the idea is the seed is not in the tree the seed is in the fruit the tree bears Somebody say with me, the seed is in the fruit. There's a principle there. The seed is in the fruit. Let the ground bring forth herbs and all the, the vegetation whose seed is in itself and it yields seed. It gives back according to its kind. And then the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself. 
It's, in, it's not in the self of the tree. It's in the fruit of the tree that is manifested. And God said, what about that? That's good. I like that. Anybody ever do something before and when you finished it, maybe you built something that was beautiful and you stepped back and thought, oh, that's pretty good right there. <laughs> Anybody ever, any cooks and any chefs in the house that made that favorite dish and then when you step back, maybe it was some, I love dressing, maybe it was some dressing on Thanksgiving and you stuck the spoon in before anybody came to try it and you tasted it and you just stepped back and said, oh my gosh, that is so good. I can't believe that's so good. That's the best dressing I've ever eaten in my life. That little private moment, you know what I'm saying, when nobody's around and you just pat yourself on your back and said, that's the best gravy I've ever tasted right there. This is kind of what's happening with God. He creates that stuff, and then when he sees it in action, he says, that's exactly what I had in mind. That is expressing my glory. That is expressing my capacity. That is exactly, oh, you mean when you saw that apple tree, it literally produced bushels of fruit on each tree, and in every seed, I mean, in every apple of fruit, there's four to five seeds. You mean there is literally an orchard in every fruit? So for anybody that said, well, God's not a God to bless, and God don't want to bless you like that, you need to read the Bible. Go back to Genesis and see how God made everything. He didn't design an apple to produce an apple. He designed an apple to have seeds in it to produce an orchard, and then the orchard to produce apples. And, and, then, and then generosity winds up just a way of stewarding the harvest of God in your life. And if you learn to steward it God's way, guess what? You start with a tree and wind up with an orchard. And then you're eating apples until you can't hardly stand apples anymore. It's like I've, then you're selling apples to your friends. And they're growing peaches and you're growing apples. And the earth is beginning to be filled with the glory of God. we got lots of apples. And, and then it's like nobody wants any more apples. So you start a bake shop and start selling apple fritters. And in stewardship, one or two generations, you are an apple magnate. And whose idea was it? Was it the product of some Teflon evangelist late night? No, no. It was God's idea. And why did God do it that way? Because God can't help himself. Why does God show mercy to a wretch that deserves judgment? Because he can't help himself. He's so such a God of mercy. Are y'all in the room with me? Why does God like to heal sick people? Because he just can't help himself. Because in him is healing. It's his nature, y'all. It's part of his character. Why does God bless people? Because he just can't help himself. Because he's established principles that are immutable and unchangeable. Ontological foundations. It begins. And so we study in that class when we're talking about that in theology class, we talk about ontological precedent, then we can predict the behavior of God because we've seen Him act in a certain way. We're not controlling God, we're just able to predict His behavior because he, how many believe you serve a God who doesn't change? How many are glad you're not serving a schizophrenic God? I said, how many of y'all glad you're not serving a schizophrenic God? Like a weirdo God. Like, you never know how he's going to act. Now, how many are glad you're not serving a bipolar God? No, you can predict the way God's going to respond because we've seen him act in this way from the beginning. 
That's the theological idea. He goes on, verse 22, he's talking about plant life, I mean animal life. Now let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures. And let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. And God bless them. He's talking to the birds, y'all. And God bless them saying, be fruitful and multiply. And the fish and all that. And honestly, I, I, I live in the Ozarks and I like to fish in some of those beautiful streams. And when I catch one of them big small mouth out of the stream in our backyard, I have to know. I just tell you immediately, that is a blessed fish. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. And then I'll take it off the hook and let it go. Bless the fish. I mean, before man, God even blessed the fish and the creatures that are on the earth. What did he bless them with? With the capacity to reproduce and multiply. You see, if God commanded you to multiply, if God commanded you to be fruitful without the equipment of the blessing, it would have been an exercise in frustration. You would have been constantly frustrated trying to live up to something you never had the ability or capacity to do. But the capacity that you have that gets you there is the blessing of God. That's why that's good news for everybody. And I go back to my opening remark. No matter where you're from, no matter what you've done or been done to you, it cannot deny that when God blesses you, you are now equipped to be fruitful and to multiply. You are now equipped to be happy and whole. You are now equipped to be healed and delivered. You are now equipped. You're qualified. You're qualified. It doesn't matter the baggage that the enemy tries to shackle you with from the past. The devil is a liar. He'll try to cause life to dim you down. And God wants to light you up with the reality that he can do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you can ask or think. According to his mighty power that's working in you, can I get a big amen for that? Anybody in the room that you would not be where you are today if it weren't for the blessing of God in your life. You have a good marriage today, but people should have seen you a few years ago. It was a wreck. Or maybe you have a nice car today, but people should have seen you a few years ago. You were just ho- you were getting to church on a hope and a prayer. But then you begin to embrace the Word of God and begin to realize that God wants to do something powerful in you. And, and as you begin to sow the seed of faithfulness and obedience, God began to release the power of the blessing in your life to produce multiplication. Amen and amen. Let the waters abound. Then he gets to man in verse 28. So God created man in his image. In his image, God created them. Male and female, he created them. You know the verse. And then the response to that is, then God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful and multiply. What did he do? He said, I'm expecting you to be fruitful. I'm equipping you with the blessing. And I'm only asking obedience and faith from you. If you will keep your switch flipped to yes, and you will be obedient and mix your agreement with my blessing, the end result is faithfulness, and the devil cannot stop it. He might talk you out of it before you sow the seed. He may talk you out of the harvest when it comes. But once you act in faith and obedience coupled with the blessing of the Lord, the devil has no antidote for a seed sown in faith in the kingdom of God. Praise God. So this is what this means, though. And this is how the Lord spoke to me as I was preparing this message. 
as I was thinking about the power of the seed and I was thinking about the wisdom of God, incredible, that wanted to bless and multiply everything. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, your life is more like a seed to be planted than a door to be opened. A lot of us kind of get off track because we want that microwave moment, right? We want to live a lifetime of craziness. And then some evangelist, and like a, with a quick draw, come to town and like, God, I want to go to the prayer line and I want you, that man to lay hands or a woman to lay hands on me and fix a lifetime of nuttiness in about a miracle moment. Microwave me, Jesus! <laughs> and that's the culture, right? I mean, it's all in an instant. But you understand, God is more interested in growing something great in you than doing something great for you. I'm going to say that again. Can I say that again? Because that's pretty good right there. God is more interested in growing something great in you than doing something great for you. We're waiting. God, I'm waiting for you to open the door. God, I'm praying. I'm waiting for you to open the door. And God said, how about that seed that I put in your hand that you haven't planted yet? How about that song you haven't sung yet? How about that call you haven't made yet? How about those seeds that you're carrying around in your heart? How about forgiving that person that wounded you? I want the will of God for my life. Often the will of God is carried in seeds that we haven't sown. And God said that's the releaser of the blessing in your life. When you sow the seed in obedience and it dies and breaks open and the Holy Ghost germinates it, it doesn't just bring one plant, it brings multiples in your life. Jesus describes it this way in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Can I tell you today that the vine doesn't bear fruit? The branches bear fruit. The fruit is in the cluster of the grapes, right? The blessing is in the cluster of the grapes. But the grapes can't produce on the branch without life in the vine. But when the life in the vine is throwing through the branch, flowing through the branch, you don't have to beg the branch to bear fruit. It's the nature of the branch to bear fruit because it's connected to the vine. Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But he says it's the Father's will that you bear much. Somebody say much. Much fruit. Not a little bitty fruit, not a little bitty fruit. You may start that way. That's a good way to get pruned. <laughs> I'm trying, God. I got a little bit of fruit on me. Yeah, I know you do. Clip, clip, clip. A little snip, snip, snip. And Jesus says in this passage that when you're bearing fruit, but it's not to your full capacity or maximized potential, that the, the husbandman that loves you is developing you, and he'll begin to cut things away from you that's limiting the fruitfulness in your life. Oops, there's a little less of you. Oops, a little pride gone. Up, oh, a little arrogance is out of the way. Uh-oh, a little unforgiveness is gone. And before long, a little fruit turns into... A lot of fruit. And Jesus says of his own words in that passage, For in this is the Father glorified that you bear much fruit. All right, so if you're ready for me to finish, say, oh, we got it now, Brother Brassfield. We got it. Okay, enough of that. will be about enough of that. So you get the idea. Now, I told you I'd finish with a story, and it's one of the coolest stories in the Bible because it's a story of a boy that's not always done everything the right way. 
It's recorded in Genesis chapter 28. It's the story of Jacob. And you have to understand, Jacob didn't come from a great family, y'all. It was a covenant family, but they were pretty whacked. So for any of you in the room who says, oh, I could do all God wanted me to do if I just had a better family. I had a bad family. Well, that's, this story's for you because Jacob is, and I'll tell you, Jacob's not a good boy. Jacob's not a good, a, a good Jewish boy. No, he's not. He, he might become that, but he's not that yet. As a matter of fact, he hears there's something in him that says, I was made for more. Something in him that says, God has a plan for my life. But he impatiently decided he could do it better than God. He decided that his route to success was better than this undefined, nebulous faith walk that his father and his grandfather walked. So he just connived, hoodwinked, little double crossing mixed in, and he was going to help himself and get his. Anybody in the room? That you say, that was me, Brother Brassfield, at one point. I'll raise my hand. That was me. Well, me and that lady right back there, God bless you, dear. Thank you for your two honest people in the room, me and you. I think we've all tried to get it our own way. Can I get an amen? amen. We've all, we, none of us, nobody in here has done it all right. And none of us in here can claim pedigree because the fact is we've all descended from a crooked farmer and a drunken sailor. One named Adam and the other named Noah. <laughs> yeah. Jacob didn't do it all right all the time. He hoodwinked his brother out of the birthright. And then as our story opens, just in the previous few verses, on his daddy's deathbed, y'all, with the help of a crooked mother, who favored him above the other children, they conspired together to hoodwink daddy out of the blessing that was reserved for the firstborn child. This is not a one-time mistake. No, no. This is becoming a lifestyle of exploitation and self-interest seeking. His brother was a, a warrior and a hunter from the field and so his mother said put this hairy stuff on your arm and your daddy is blind but he can smell and feel so you go in and let's make you smell like you've been hunting out in the field and you can go in and, and then ask for the blessing from that poor blind old man that's dying this is like some inheritance sabotage this is self-seeking ninja. Are y'all getting the picture? <laughs> this is like cutthroat. You see, to this point, Jacob is a child of the covenant, but he's not walking in the blessing. He's trying to produce the blessing with his own ability. Mom comes to him after the dad dies and says, I mean, I just heard your brother talking and he said that when we finish our days of mourning, he's going to get you. Anybody ever had somebody tell you they were going to get you and you knew what they meant? You didn't have to have it all explained to you? You knew what they meant? <laughs> so she said, you better get out of town. As our story opens, he is leaving on the run for his life, taking what he's stolen 
and he makes it as far as a place called Luz. That's where, <laughs> I told you sometimes the rabbits just jump everywhere, you know what I'm saying? That's where your own ingenuity and your best efforts will take you. The inhabitants of Luz are called losers. Let's look at it. Genesis 28. Let me land the plane to this message. Genesis 28. Now Jacob, verse 10 says, Now Jacob went out of Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head and laid down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold a ladder. This wasn't a pizza dream, y'all. No, this wasn't because he had too many visits to the Chinese buffet. No, this was a God dream. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. How many have ever heard God called the name, by this name, the, the, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? How many have ever heard that? It didn't exist till after this passage. Every time that phrase is used prior to Genesis 28, it's, I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. No, Jacob. Something Jacob is going to do is going to be so powerful in that moment that not only is it going to transform Jacob, it's going to alter the identity of God. Never underestimate what your faith can do. The land on which you lie will give to you and to your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. This wayward boy. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you. For I will not leave you until I've done what I have spoken to you. What did he tell Jacob in the dream? The same thing he told his granddad 142 years before and the same thing that he told his father are y'all glad today that you serve a God who doesn't change his mind <laughs> are you glad today that we're serving a God who is faithful to keep his word to 10,000 generations but this boy needed to learn how covenant worked He's trying to make it happen on his own. God said, boy, you need to see how this works. So let me show you a picture. Here's God standing over the ladder. The ladder is the covenant. And what makes the covenant work? Angels that are ascending and descending. Spurgeon called them the morning and the evening shift. That means God's working all the time to fulfill His promise in your life. God's working all the time. You can't see it. You don't always know it. But God's working. Angels are busy. 
to perform the word. No wonder the Lord said, I watch over my word to perform it. You need to understand how covenant works, boy. It wasn't just because Abraham was smart. It wasn't just because Isaac was good because they were not perfect men. It's because we were in covenant together and I was always working behind the scenes to favor them. And if you will understand that and make me your God, I'll add your name to the list. Jesus would later say that he was the ladder of Jacob's dream. Go home and study it. You'll like it. When Nathaniel comes to him, he says, how did you see me under the fig tree? He said, you think that's great? He said, you hang around. You're going to see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Yeah, the latter was the covenant of God. God standing over it 150 years later. I'm going to bless you. I, I bless you, Daddy. I'm going to bless you, Granddaddy. I'm going to bless you. That's kind of how I, I, you know, just for effect, I like to, you know, kind of do that. It's like the God thing. It's like, I, little growl. I'm going to bless you. That's for emphasis. Jacob did four things. Let me show you the four things he did real quick. We're going home. Because remember, you've got to mix your faith with the blessing of God. What did Jacob do? First of all, he said, God is in this place, and I did not know it. My goodness, God, you were with me all the while, and I did not realize it. There was a moment where he shifted his attention from himself to God. Where he shifted his thoughts from me, myself, and I to the greatness of God. Can I tell you that the focus of your attention will always become the object of your affection? I said the focus of your attention will always become the object of your affection. What you're looking at, you'll begin to love. I, I have my phones in my bag in the green room. I looked before this message, and I had like six or 700 pictures of me. Y'all don't judge me. They call it the selfie generation. You, have you ever done that? You might want to do it before you laugh at me. You might want to go home and look and see how many pictures of you you've got in your phone. This is me and my dog. Me and that big fish I caught. This is me at the award ceremony. This is me in my HDTV quality house. Nobody, nobody ever posts the bad stuff on social media, do they? We just want to put ourselves in the picture of everything wonderful. They call it the selfie generation. But man, something powerful happens when we shift our attention off of ourself. This is what Jacob did. He quit trying to do it himself and just relied on the goodness of God. Releasing more, say it with me. Releasing more comes with an awareness of God's blessing presence. The second thing that Jacob did is he consecrated that place as the house of God in his life. People who experience more get planted and settled someplace. Can I get about a three-minute amen? amen? Just granting me three more minutes to make sense of it all. Just say amen whether you believe it or not.
How many know what I'm talking about? You're never going to experience the more that God has made you for by hopping from this church to that church to that church to that church. No, a lot of us are spiritual surfers, right? We're just there for the waves. And it's like we drive on the property with our psychedelic VW bug with the, the spiritual surfboards on top. And we'll come and say, Pastor, I heard the waves. It's totally tubular here. And it's like, whatever. It's like, whatever. And then in a few months, it's like nothing personal. We love this church. But man, down the street, the waves are breaking. Somebody said they're having revival. You'll never experience the more God has for you by hopping from church to church to church to church. Jacob had that revelation that he couldn't go from that God to that God to that God to that God. He had to settle himself and say, you're the God in my life. And this is the place you sent me. Come on, somebody. You can't, you're never going to get more going from one relationship to another relationship to another relationship to another. You need to settle on somebody and stay married for a while. Divorce happens, I understand. There's no stones there. But I'm saying more comes in your life when you settle and plant yourself and you're not always looking for grass greener on the other side. That's pretty good pastoral teaching for an old guy like me, I'll tell you. Amen. The third thing that he did is he made a commitment to the ways of God. Did you know committed people experience more in their life? If it's in business, you build great businesses with highly committed employees. Families are built around commitment. Churches are built around commitment. What did he do? The scripture says he made a vow. Look what he says. When he responded, Jacob awoke, verse 16, from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I was afraid. How awesome is this place. Geography matters. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head and set it up as a pillar. I, I told you all that's what he slept on. That's what we sleep on in Arkansas pillars. I always say to the kids, the grandkids come over, it's like, you're going to make a pallet, be sure and get your pillar. <laughs> Not pillow, pillar. Y'all get that? Is that cool? That's funny, isn't it? And what did he do with the pillar? He poured oil on top of it. In other words, he consecrated the place and said, this is going to be my Bethel. But the name of that place, city, had been loosed previously. Then Jacob made a vow Everybody say, Jacob made a vow. Saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way, I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. God, if you'll straighten out the weirded, whacked out mess of my family, then you'll be my God too. God knew his heart and he took him at his word. Stand with me, would you? He said there's four things. I always give you the fourth thing standing because that means I've run out of time. I've got to go. There was, wait, there's one more thing he did. So what? He became aware of God, less self-aware. He, 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 made a, uh, uh, he, he consecrated the place where he was at as the house of God. He made a commitment to the ways of God. And notice in verse 22 as we land the plane. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth. 
to you. I'm not saying God's hung up on the tithe, but all I can tell you is Jacob's name got added to the list that day. I think what Jacob came to understand is the seed is the carrier of the will of God. The seed is a carrier of the will of God. And every harvest there is a seed. Remember the apple story? The wisdom of God's creation. That in the apple is meat for the moment, provision for the moment. But God said there is seed in it for the future. And if you handle it right, you'll have plenty of apples. Remember, be an apple magnate. But you'll also have the ability to sow the fields of your future with blessing the apple the meat of it in a week or two will get soft and either has to be eaten or thrown away or baked with it's not designed by God to be imperishable in fact it is a perishable but the seed if you dry it and manage it right hold it you can plant it in a hundred years and it'll still produce a tree the meat is your part the seed is God's part now, we're not in an agricultural economy today, ladies and gentlemen, but can I tell you, in every paycheck you get, every harvest God brings in your life, there is food for the moment, provision for the moment, and seed for the future. And God knows the difference. God knows what's His, and He knows what's yours. And the promise of God is still true, that if you manage it right, you'll become an apple magnate. Bow your heads Close your eyes. If you're here and you'd say, Brother Brassfield, I received that word. Today, that word was for me. I've been struggling with possibilities and potential so long, I'm so frustrated. But today, I have heard you and I've heard the word of the Lord. And I believe that God made me for more. That God is a God of more. And that if I will act in obedience and faith, God will add my name to the list. And I will experience the abundance that the Apostle Paul promised God wanted to bring in my life if that's you would you just raise your hand right where you are all over this building I want the more that God made me for pray this prayer with me right now would you do it with all of your heart God's looking at our Lord God look at our hearts right now pray this prayer Lord Jesus today I believe add my name to the list my eyes are turned off myself and my own desires and my eyes are on you you have become my source. You have become my portion. I put my heart and trust in you. I believe in you. I receive you. Therefore, I make a commitment today that you will be my God. That I'll go off the market of looking for different gods and different fixes and different things that can bring joy and peace in my life. And I will look only to you. And Lord, of all that you send me, I will be faithful to honor you with the part that belongs to you through which I bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, if you receive the word and believe that, give the Lord a big shout of praise. Amen. Amen. God bless you.